0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast. Brought to you by Biotechniques, this show brings you the latest from the frontiers of the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm Abby Sawyer, Senior Digital Editor of Biotechniques, and I'll be your host for this special International Women's Day Takeover episode. Joining me today is the Vice President of Epidemiology and Clinical Evidence at IQVIA in North
1: Carolina. Hi, I'm Christina Mack. Abby, thanks so much for having me
0: the Executive Director for the Pharmaceutical Research Computing Centre at the University of Maryland School of Pharmacy.
2: Hi Abby, my name's Abere Anakor. thanks so much for having me today.
0: A lecturer, science communicator and author based in Cardiff, Wales. Hi, I'm Emma Wynall and thanks for having me on this podcast for International Women's Day. And the Director of the Neuroscience Centre Microscopy Corps at the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. Hi everyone,
3: my name is Michelle Itano and I'm really thrilled to be here today.
0: For International Women's Day 2021, we at Future Science Group put a survey out to the scientific community to find out about the current perspectives on gender equality and parity. Today, this incredible panel will be discussing those results, sharing their own experiences and outlining how the STEM community can push further towards gender equality and parity. So without further ado, let's begin by discussing the first survey result. 62% said that they have experienced gender inequality, 64% of whom feel this has negatively impacted their career to some extent. Does this surprise you? Christina, what do you think?
1: You know, I I would say it does not surprise me. Um, And I would also say that, I mean, in my opinion, gender inequality could really be interpreted in, in many different ways. I think that there are it's spectrum. There's gender inequality where women make less money, where they're passed over for promotions. There's gender inequality where you're sitting in the room, your voice doesn't feel heard. Um, you're you're called a girl when you're in your thirties. Um, you know there, there are there are small things that happen that I think you could interpret as gender inequality. And my guess is that the survey respondents are responding kind of on that spectrum um, and how they interpret that. And I think what's really important. Um, as i reflect on that percentage is that whether it's on the more egregious side of that or on the more you know potentially minor side of that that it is something that women are kind of fighting through and that um you know we need to figure out how we take power from that when it happens to us versus
2: become victims of it
0: that's a really interesting point so abere what do you think about that does that statistic surprise you
2: it wasn't surprising to me to uh, to look at that statistic and think about the different instances that could have contributed to that number. Um, I really appreciated Christina's point about the spectrum of experiences. I think many of us have seen where you're uh, feeling invisible um, or seen but not appreciated at the level that others have contributed. So that doesn't surprise me. I would also note that uh, while we may have opinions about who is projecting that inequality, that also occurs on a a spectrum. I've seen uh, gender inequality um, regardless of gender, where sometimes uh, women in leadership You know, who are knowledgeable about the barriers and constraints and scheduling concerns that fellow women may have may sometimes use it against them unwittingly. You know, in an attempt to show understanding of their situation, may unwittingly limit them. So uh, I would certainly encourage us to think about this gender inequality as. Uh, being irrespective of gender and something to be discussed uh, across all genders.
0: Thank you for that insight. Michelle, do you have anything to add to that?
3: I think I was actually a bit surprised that it seemed a bit low to what I was expecting, to be honest. Um, And I think what struck me is, again, how people define experiencing gender inequality, especially in the workplace when many things are systemic throughout our culture and in many institutionalized places, it can be hard as a respondent for me to decide whether or not that affected my career versus some other part of my life, some, some part of my education or my home life or other things that contribute so much to what we consider productivity in work but i think what did strike me is that about 50% had said they were in a senior or leadership position so that this was overlapping with those who had achieved some amount of of success already in leadership in their fields and had done so despite experiencing this and so i saw it as somewhat hopeful as well that despite experiencing these being the most common factors of most women in our fields I guess would have say they have experienced this that many are overcoming this and succeeding
0: despite. That certainly does provide some hope actually to kind of see that that number as well of people who are in senior leadership positions and see that they are still succeeding despite the odds. Emma is there anything that you would like to add on to that?
4: Yeah, thanks, Abby. So for me, I mean, personally, I wasn't particularly surprised by these stats, unfortunately. Um, I think we have got some diversity in respondents. So I think that's interesting when we consider perhaps maybe cultural um, differences. But for me, I think that there could have been a lot of interpretation in this question. And I think perhaps if you are in a more senior role, you can kind of reflect back and, and look at maybe... The negative impact that it has had on your career but I think ha- being able to reflect back on that is it's quite a privileged position really and I think sometimes it's only when we reflect back that we're maybe able to recognize that so I think it's about perhaps being more mindful and aware of these issues while we're experiencing them as well and, and supporting each other so that we can overcome them and um, so that you know hopefully when this survey is done in you know a, a decade's time or so and those numbers were, would go down. Thank you, Emma. Yeah, that's not something that I've really
0: considered, actually, when experiencing gender inequality. Is it something that you would flag in your head straight away that that's what's happening? Or would it be further down the line that you'd look back and realise, oh, actually, that's what that what was happening to me there?
4: Yeah, absolutely. And I think Christina mentioned, didn't you, the scale of kind of different things that can contribute to this and you know the, the smaller things versus the larger things and all I would say to that is you know the the smaller things add up too right so you know they they can appear small and I think when we reflect on it maybe it's different as well.
1: And I, th- I think we can take power from the more awareness that we have about our, our you know what we're experiencing in the moment but we take power from that I think it, it, can, it kind of goes back to what's happening to me and how can I use it? And I I remember in the, I was, I majored in computer science engineering in the late nineties. And so there were not many women. And I remember at some point in some class we were forming groups and all the guys were forming groups together and I didn't really have anyone to be in my group with. And so I, you know, eventually found a partner, but it was one of those experiences where I very much felt like, okay, I'm, I'm a girl and there are a bunch of guys and they don't want to be, be in a group with the girl. And I remember that night going for a run and just running Laps around the computer science building and just thinking, I'm going to have the best project in the class because nobody wanted to be my partner. I'll show them what I can do. And it's that level of, OK, I know what just happened to me and I'm going to be a little angry about that and I'm going to turn it into into power and into achievement. And, and we can go really far with that kind of an attitude. And it comes back to just being aware of what's happening and figuring out what's the positive road to, you know, to taking control of the situation.
2: And I think that's a great point, Uh, the points that have been raised about, you know, what we do with these experiences. Do they define us or are we defining them, if you will? And I remember when I first voiced my interest in majoring in economics, the first uh, response I heard back from a professor was, that's not going to be a successful field for you. And it was unclear at that point whether you was gender, race, culture, age who knows you know it was just but I say that to say that there's so um, many layered identities that we all well you know for social reasons carry around with us so sometimes it does make it hard to know that it was this a gender inequality that I experienced age issue uh, where I'm from issue how I speak, my accent, who knows and so for many reasons that proportion could be underestimated there could be layers where we Uh, examine it in certain subgroups and it spikes on us and goes upwards of 75% to 80%. But I think the bottom sort of line is that, you know, whatever the experiences um, with regards to gender inequality, that is something that is happening. And that surveys like this are bringing that out, bringing that to our consciousness and giving us an opportunity to both share experiences and Um, how we can help others who may be experiencing such.
0: So I guess leading on from that point, Avery, what do you think are the key underlying reasons for gender disparity?
2: Well, it was interesting for me to see uh, the responses from the survey with regards to the ranking that what was top ranked appeared more to be mindsets and then what ranked lower were sort of resources and counting up, you know, uh, widgets of support, you know, programs and webinars and things that can help. And so if it's true that mindsets matter, well, I think that certainly defines for us a way forward, maybe not the easiest way. If it was an issue of too few programs, well, let's throw some money at it and get some of those webinars up and training sessions. Less uh, clear path if it's mindsets and influences and perceptions. Uh, In, you know, reviewing those results, I was reminded of a TED talk by Verna Myers, who's such a just thoughtful uh, influence influencing uh, thought around diversity and inclusion. She had given a talk about violence against black men. So that was the focus of that TED talk. But one point she made there, I think is important for our discussion today in that she talked about our default biases that many of us don't even realize we carry around, and the example she gave was she had um, boarded a flight headed, you know, to a different location to give a talk, and heard a female uh, pilot voice coming over the intercom, announcing it's time to take off, etc. And she thought, "Yay for women! We're piloting. We're in the, you know, we're doing this, breaking down all these barriers." they took off, hit turbulence, and her first thought was, oh boy, I hope there's a male pilot in there with her. Uh, who's driving this thing? And, and I laughed listening to that because that resonated with me that there are certain default biases we have for gender roles. When things are fine, we're okay with certain groups, and then well, when there's turbulence, well, is there a stronger, more confident hand, if you will? So I think this idea of understanding what are our default biases for science, what is our default persona for who conducts ethically robust, you know, rigorous science, uh, what are those default biases that we can learn about ourselves and then help others uh, better understand as a beginning to changing these mindsets? Barry, that
1: that story makes me want to go run laps around some buildings. Um, <laughs> but I will I, but I think, I think that's the right point to raise is that, you know, I, I love your comment about mindsets matter. And, and that when you look at these women ranking, what the underlying reasons for gender disparity are, it's, it, it is cultural and social influence. It's, it's limited representation. Um, it's limited role models. And so I think all of us, whether we're starting off our career or, you know, we're in the middle of it or ending it can can influence some of that just on a day-to-day basis. And whether it's the kind of respect that you give to women leaders and that we all give to women leaders and making sure that we don't have any of those underlying gender biases as we look up, um, as well as the way we support our peers and the, the power that we can have as women supporting each other. And then, you know, I I think that what we can what we can give and get from mentoring younger women and giving them that encouragement and giving them that influence and giving them that voice. I mean, we really can, it's a 360 degree um, way that we can view changing those mindsets and bringing down those barriers. And I think we all have the opportunity to do that daily, um, no matter where we are in our career on an individual level. And then, of course, some of these more organizational, systematic um, or systemic pieces, you know, we, we tackle those more in the long term.
4: Yeah, I think it's probably about that recognition and acknowledgement that we do have these unconscious biases. And, you know, once we're aware of them, I think that's useful. Um, But, yeah, I think it's really interesting the way that these different factors have been ranked because I think, you know, arguably the the factors that come up on top are more difficult to solve. You know, you can put money in in, and resource, but ultimately, if you haven't changed the mindset, that I think has probably limited benefit. So, you know, these aren't easy things to solve either, are they? And I think that that's probably one of the difficulties that we've got, you know, we're, we're changing um, mindsets and that's a, a tough thing to do sometimes.
2: One thing that strikes me, you know, we had the other day sat and watched Perseverance's landing because my 11th grader insisted on it and was backed by her other sisters. And it, as I sat and watched them watching the scientists at the Jet Propulsion Lab report on what was happening and all the other activity. And one was noting that there were 2.1 million people viewing this landing. Um, and then they had kids coming and in, giving interviews about kind of why they chose the uh, name for Perseverance or other aspects of it. It occurred to me that their world is entirely different than the one I came through. Um, and so it is going to look different. Uh, What I think about is how do we continue the process, right? So they're already coming in with a different perspective of women in science. They're looking at the JPL scientists and they're diverse uh, with regards to, you know, aspects you can think about. There's also inclusion with regards to who's giving the interviews and sharing the sort of minute by minute, if you will, about the uh, landing. So they're comfortable with that. But who's going to mentor, who's going to provide that vision and that continuous career mentoring? Do we have that in place? Or do we just say, well, they're used to seeing women in signs, it'll all work out for itself. So I agree that, you know, things may look like they're getting better, and they are in many areas, which is great. But some of these reasons may still apply in different ways to younger generations and younger scientists. So we do want to be alert to that as uh, individuals who've been through uh, at our working in STEM careers and look for opportunities, how we might continue to support.
0: Great, thank you all for those really interesting points. So I think my key takeaways from that, we need to recognize the biases that exist. We need to work towards breaking down those gender roles that exist within the STEM subjects. Um, and really focus on nurturing, modeling um, and mentoring as well to kind of inspire the future generation. Um, So within the STEM working environment, how do you think that gender equality is best promoted there? Michelle, do you want to answer this one?
3: Sure, I, I think this ties in very well with the conversation we were having previously where again, it's about the culture right? And, and really, um, the underlying relationships that people are building, and what they're bringing to the table, and how they respect each other and actually work together. And I would say, I have seen a shift in The fact that these are conversations now happening in the workplace. Um, We're talking about stereotypes. We're talking about inclusion. Um, Students are bringing up these issues when they're considering what graduate school to go to. Um, it It is something that Programs have to be prepared to have an answer to. And when people are choosing a supervisor that is often brought up in conversation, and that was not true when I was training. And I think that while we have a long way to go, the fact that it is a conversation topic, it leads, gets us to a point where we can start to recognize where we are and where we could go from there.
1: Michelle, I love that concept, and I, you know, as I listen to you talk, the word deliberate pops into my head, and I think that there's there's a few ways that it can be done, and, and they're all effective, and it takes all of them, and it reminds me of a time when I, I, I worked for Johnson & Johnson early in my career as an engineer, and I remember there was a vice president there, and I walked into his office. I had a pretty administrative, you know, junior role on a program, and he asked me, you know, you you, you're good at this. You should think about going to get a PhD. And I remember my first thought was like, what would I get a PhD? And I won't go get a PhD. It's probably not on my radar. And I didn't really think about it until four years later when I thought, oh, actually someone thought I should get a PhD a while ago. Um, you know, and it, it influenced me way later. I, I met with the guy for, you know, 30 minutes. And if you think back to the, I mean, if I think back to how that impacted me, and the way that, you know, how do we promote the STEM environment, a, a good environment in the workplace, it's, you know, speak to young women and say, you know, acknowledge some of these barriers. But I think it's also just a deliberate, I th- if I think about that, what that guy was thinking about, it was a very deliberate, this is a woman who has potential, and I'm going to put this in her mind so that it's going to give her, it's going to empower her now or it's going to empower her later, but I'm going to plant this seed And he didn't do it because I was a woman and it wasn't gender equality related. But I have to think that he was making a very deliberate effort to put that out there as a possibility. And the more that we as leaders can do that, the more that we're just very subconsciously saying, you can do whatever you want. You can succeed in this field. And I'm going to make a very positive impact on you in these small ways. And if that starts coming at people from many directions, that will propel everyone, um, women included.
4: I hope you've gone back and told that person, Christina, what a big impact they had because. I have. Oh, good. But I think it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think sometimes it's just about kind of kindness and and honesty um, and not even necessarily having the intent of, you know, gender equality, which I don't think was maybe the the intent there. It was just, you know, a, a conversation which empowered you and, you know, made you think about maybe something different. So I think that those general conversations can be really helpful as well.
1: Yeah, but women are often on, I mean, I think when we look at these survey results, what we hear is that women are on the other side of that, where because they're a woman or women feel like they've had these kind of subconscious or conscious statements that may hold them back. And so I think taking the deliberate step of saying, I'm going to just make sure I plant those seeds and you know push these women and, and push these, young individuals toward these careers it can counteract what what clearly from our survey respondents we're hearing kind of still exists in their world
0: yeah definitely and I think even in supervisors taking the time to get to know people within their group and people that they're mentoring um because speaking from my experience when I was an undergrad um I had no idea what I wanted to do with my future I had great supervisor who said look you can come and you can do a masters in my lab I'm happy to take you and I was like I just don't think that's for me Um, and he was the first person that mentioned science communication to me and I then realized that that was a path I could take Um, so I'm obviously incredibly grateful to him because I wouldn't be where I am today if he hadn't taken that time to get to know me and to realize and understand what I wanted in life.
3: I love that I feel like it makes me also think of the way that people's roles have changed. What, what we considered to be a supervisor's role before was so much based on productivity in the hard sense of publications and grant money and, you know, scientific success. And now I think there has been a change where supervisor and mentor are sometimes synonymous. And there is now, Um, I've heard so many times, you know, I wasn't trained to have this role, right? I wasn't trained to have this job, to be a mentor to people. And now there are training programs starting for that, right? People are actually being trained to encourage others to have conversations about career tracks and things like that. And I think that can only lead to more possibility, right? Because it is... We are starting to use things that we have seen be successful in other areas and bring them into science and bring them to people who didn't experience that in their training for the next generation of scientists. And I really love the idea of really deliberate conversations and interactions with younger scientists at all levels. So I guess on the topic of
0: that, how can more women be encouraged to pursue studies and careers
4: in STEM? So I think speaking from a kind of UK perspective, there's been some, you know, incredible schemes and initiatives to get more um, girls and, and young women involved in STEM careers and, you know, certainly studying more STEM subjects, which I think is brilliant. Um, for me, I think that there's more work to do around of the retention um, of women in these careers, because I think that we've, you know, done really great work in terms of getting more um, women and girls studying STEM subjects. But you still see, particularly at the more senior levels, um, that drops off, which is a a real shame. And, you know, sometimes I think about all of the incredibly talented and and skilled women that kind of choose different careers or for various reasons um, leave the the STEM workforce. So for me, I think that there's more work to do around that retention. Um, Again, you know, I don't think it's going to be easy, but I think. Particularly around, um, you know, having a family, starting a family, and having kids. There's definitely room to explore that in terms of balancing career with family, and how best to do that. One thing that really struck me um, was the idea that respondents thought
3: that greater representation, especially on boards, could be really important. And I think that ties into what Emma was saying, where there's the idea where there needs to be more flexibility in how these roles are assigned, right? Many of the things like taking a break in your career or a less traditional path have been seen as really critical barriers in the past to promotion. And I think we're seeing that change slightly, but the more that institutionally we can accept that greater perspectives, different paths actually bring strength to leadership roles, that that can, really make an organization stronger and also impact the future of younger scientists. And I think that the idea and hearing stories of people who have experienced troubles and gotten through it also helps. Um, there is something to survivor bias as well. We don't want to just say you'll always get through it. But I do think hearing how common difficulties can be and different ways and strategies people have overcome them can also really help many people out there who are likely to experience very similar issues.
2: Yeah, and I couldn't agree with you more, Michelle. I think that, you know, anything we can do to socialize STEM um, and the training and the mindset it takes for success is so important. And the earlier, the better. Uh, There's a local university here that's known for its strong STEM program. And I was interested to see that they have a center for women in technology, CWIT. And the students who join the center also do a lot with middle schoolers and high schoolers. So, they're really appreciating the importance of reaching back into the pipeline while they themselves are sort of blazing new territories. Uh, and as a mother of four daughters who are all interested in STEM in different ways, I also share with them that it's not all roses. Uh, you know, I share with them the highs and lows of working in research, of being a full-time active researcher that that way they have a realistic expectation of what it takes. And I also share with them that their generation will be different. Uh, And for the reasons I raised earlier around, they're already seeing diversity in some of these STEM labs. And so they shouldn't feel as though my experience will define theirs. Hopefully they will come into an environment that's a lot more welcoming, but that they can take what is working well in our uh, current uh, careers uh, that are tried and true, right? So hard work, collaboration, all those things that always work, take that forward, and then, but then be cognizant that it's a different uh, time frame that they'll be working in. Um,
1: I love the concept of socializing STEM, and I think there's a place where we emphasize STEM, and how it can be really, really positive for women, and, and actually a, a and a helpful field for what we might encounter when we do, if we do decide to, decide to become mothers, right? Because if you think about technology and you think about science, those are very skilled roles that you become quite unique. Often you become quite specialized. And so, workplace flexibility and the ability to maybe take some time off, but come back in and still hit the ground running um, is, is to some extent more possible within STEM than it is in other fields, because it's not just about the time you put in and constant availability. It's about what you know, and when you bring it, bring it in a skillful way. And so that you can work that around kids, and you can work that around family in a different way than you can in other fields. Um, And then there's also the, um, I think there's another piece where, you know, financials matter. And so STEM careers, are financially lucrative in many cases. And so to also emphasize to young women, we don't need to tiptoe around that topic. Um, If you can, if, if you make enough money financially in your job, you can keep working after you have kids to pay very expensive childcare fees, which is really the reality, at least in the U.S. for many women, that we really need to make X salary in order to stay in the workforce because of what it costs for us to get childcare during those early years and so again the STEM careers kind of offer that nice puzzle of flexibility of you know the ability to work remotely and of the ability to you know be able to pay for childcare when you need it.
0: Thank you all for that great insight there. Um, Looking forward now we had some really great statistics on how 93% of respondents believed that having a mentor or a role model is a powerful tool to help inspire younger women to pursue STEM careers. But then on the flip side of that, 82% of respondents believed that greater representation in media, literature, at conferences could help support and encourage more women to enter STEM fields. So what do we think can be done to achieve greater representation? And if somebody wanted to become a mentor, how would they do that?
1: I, you know, I, I I'm always interested in the mentorship discussions because so often mentorship is viewed as this very formal thing. Okay, I'm going to meet this person and I want her to be my mentor, so I'm going to ask her to be my mentor. And I I think that there's really a place for that. Um, but I also think, again, you know, as, as we all talked about earlier, we could probably all reflect on people who mentored us in one meeting or in just a very informal way because we knew them in the office or because they were our managers or our bosses, and they just kind of decided to take that dual role. So um, I, know, I know for me, I, I have a long list of people that I would count as my mentors, and they run that whole gamut of people who were formal mentors that I was linked with through a corporate mentorship program, but my most important ones were the informal ones, um, my, power, my power woman bosses or my very supportive male bosses, um, as well as those people I encountered for short periods of time. Um, You know, that the the greater representation in media, literature on boards and at conferences, that's a really important one, because 82 percent of respondents said that we need more of that. And, you know, I think that's a that's a that's a nut we need to crack. Um, And, you know, we as leaders need to figure out how to make that happen by being the organizers, being on those organizing committees and find the women to do it. And we need to find junior women to do it and senior women to do it so that, so that we can bring all of those faces to the table. I mean, I think that's, we can do that on an individual level, but that is very much needs to happen at the top organizational level um, in, in order to really get those numbers to look more equal.
2: No, I would absolutely agree with that. This, that was an interesting proportion to note and it really i agree with you calls a question as to what are we going to do about it and uh, as i was reflecting on that further you know just idea of being intentional as women in stem certainly by being in stem we are mentoring if you will uh, and at least uh, passively and many of us in our job setting have opportunities for more formal relationship with mentoring Um, And I think aside from that, being intentional about opportunities that we think are uh, or should be available to us. Um, If we are asked at an annual review meeting for performance evaluations, for example, what can I do to support you? Why not say, I want to be uh, more visible and other opportunities that you think are ripe for me or bring up an organization or an institution or a board or and and at least uh, articulate these aspirational goals that we have it's not something that i think that comes naturally to you know a lot of scientists will tend to focus on the work and be real focused on the science and productivity and we don't think about these other aspects in terms of visibility But it is something that looking at these results should be, I think, more front and center for those of us who are already in STEM to increase that visibility for others.
3: I really love these two stats um, and bringing them together. I think it really exemplifies the whole conversation we've had, that there is this cultural issue that we that is bigger than any one of us and bigger than any given field that we need to make progress on to fully address this, this situation of gender disparity in STEM. But that there is also key to each of our individual experiences. There needs to be personal connections and personal supports to get us through those challenges. And so it really takes both, right? We, what one of the things I love about the 82% Um, that believed greater representation was needed is that it also says to me that they know that those women are there, right? And that as Abari says, either they can step up or we can go find them um, with just a little bit of effort, but that they are ready for that role and that they will contribute and make a difference. But that also in any stage, that any given thing you do, to break through a personal barrier or help someone else move through it also helps the whole field. That it takes any one of those little things that you feel like may not have been something you were planning or trained to do that could be the thing that keeps that impact on that person or on yourself to keep you in that field, to keep you pushing. And so I think it's great that it's really both and that that recognition is there. And that really calls all of us to be accountable, all institutions, all personal interactions, that it all matters. Um, And again, it's that kind of deliberate nature of each of these decisions. Every time you do choose a person, what are they bringing as an entire package? Um, every time you have a conversation with someone, you know, what is the message you're trying to impart? And I think um, it's really interesting to me to see how those two things really get solidified down into those two statistics.
4: So I think mentoring is, is such a really interesting kind of area of discussion. I've been fortunate to benefit as a, a mentee and a mentor, if you like. And something that I didn't necessarily appreciate maybe before that is the the mutual benefit of that relationship for both parties. So I think that's something to to really consider as well, particularly when we're talking about raising the visibility of um you know women in, in STEM subjects. Um I think that can be really useful too. And you know there are loads of great mentoring schemes out there. Um as Christina said some are more more formal than than others. And you know I certainly have tons of people who probably don't even know that they're kind of mentors right so I think that that's um you know you don't necessarily kind of have to tell them I guess it would be nice maybe to one day but um yeah there's loads of people who I'm you know really um you know honored to have been kind of helped by um and you know sometimes they don't even necessarily recognize that they're they're helping or mentoring you so I think that the mutual benefit of, of that mentoring um, relationship is really important.
1: It's also fun. I would also say that on my worst days when work is hard, science is hard, I can't figure out a problem. It's such an amazing break in my day to hear from a mentee that they were promoted or they got into grad school or have a conversation with someone and, and, you know, feel like I'm helping them hash something out. Um, It's, it's a it's a bright spot um in the day when we're you know we've got our day jobs on the on, on the other side it's it's a really good moment to just be able to do something positive and have a positive conversation and take energy from that.
2: Yeah I would absolutely agree. I think that you know the fact that we can think back to mentors who may have identified as a mentor or not shows us the power of what we can do as mentors as well. And Um, About a third of my job is probably spent working one-on-one with graduate students and professional students on different projects. And it is so energizing working with individuals who have a passion for the work, who are interested in learning about the work um, and really contributing to the field. So a lot of energy goes into mentoring, uh, but there's also a lot of uh, just reward. Well,
0: I'm feeling really empowered after that last bit of the conversation. Um, And I think something I picked up on was um, what Abere said about passive mentorship. Um, And that is pretty much just being a role model for somebody. Um, As long as you are being yourself, being passionate, speaking about your aspirations, you're increasing visibility for others. Other people are looking at you, they're feeling inspired by you and empowered by you. And I think that's great. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining me on this podcast.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Thanks for
2: having me.
1: Thanks, Abby. Thanks so much,
2: Abby.
0: Make sure you also check out our infographic, which details the full results of our survey on gender equality and parity in the STEM community. If you've enjoyed the podcast today and you'd like to find more, you can find Talking Techniques on ACAST, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, or you can look for the podcast section on our website, at www.biotechniques.com. Thank you for listening and goodbye.